One of the greatest confessions of all time. That's how our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, describes Psalm 51. Welcome to Through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz, inviting you aboard the Bible bus for, as always, another great study in God's Word. Now, in just a minute, we're going to hear the anguish of David as he comes before the Lord and finally repents for his adultery with Bathsheba and the indirect murder of Uriah. It's really a beautiful psalm, one that teaches us about the sin in our own lives and how God wants to forgive and restore us. But first, I want you to grab your Bible and find your seat. And while you do that, I'm going to share a couple of quick notes from our fellow Bible Bus listeners. First, we got an email from Bobby in Bridgetown, North Carolina. And Bobby writes, My husband, now in his 80s, has been on the Bible Bus since his 20s, beginning by participating in Dr. McGee's Thursday night Bible study at the Church of the Open Door. Today he has Alzheimer's but continues to listen to Dr. McGee. He loves God's Word and is comforted by Dr. McGee's familiar voice. We pray for you and are so encouraged by your faithfulness to carry the whole Word to the whole world. Well, we're certainly glad that you and your husband join us each day, Bobby, and our prayers are with both of you. Next is Melody. She shares this good news on our Facebook page. I just finished a full journey through the Bible. Tonight I'm going to sit back and relish it and then start back in Genesis tomorrow night. I love it. Praise our Lord. Well, congratulations, Melody. We're thrilled that you're going to continue the journey as well. Let's pray as we get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for the light of your word that shines in our lives. And like David, Lord, convict us of our unconfessed sins so that we can repent and then we can be restored into a rightful and joyful relationship with you. We ask this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Here's Dr. J. Vernon McGee with our study of Psalm 51 on Through the Bible. We bring our thinking today to Psalm 51, and as we do, I'd like to call your attention to the fact that these introductory notes at the beginning of the Psalms are not inserted by someone later on. They are part of the original text, and this Psalm has a superscription as some of the others do. And it's self-explanatory and I think essential to the understanding of the psalm. Let me read it. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Now that, I think, is not only self-explanatory, but that's crystal clear. And it's a reference to the great blot on David's life. Now, it's not our intention today to go into the lurid details of David's sin. I think it's suffice to say he broke two of the commandments. The seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. And he did with Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And then he broke the sixth commandment, Thou shalt not kill. And although he did not personally kill Uriah, he had him put in the front of the battle so he would be. Now, this was a dastardly deed on the part of David. Now, after this disgraceful incident, David did nothing. He said nothing. And those who knew, and I'm sure there were those who did know, they followed suit. They kept quiet also. And actually, what David did was not unusual if it had been down in Egypt or over in Babylon or in Philistia or in Edom or Moab 
and later on in the kingdoms of the world. And even today, (laughs) that could be true in Washington. And I'm told that it is true, that the conversation is who's going with who in Washington. But nevertheless, for David, it was different. He's God's man. God's man can't get by with it. But when you put him down with the others, he doesn't look near as bad as some would have you think, because in that day it was common sin, and today, of course, it is. It's just like someone has said that you put down a bunch of crooked sticks. I know that when I was a boy, I'd go out and cut wood. I used to have to cut down trees. My dad owned some property along by a little river in southern Oklahoma, and I'd cut down a tree, and then on Saturday I'd have to chop it up, and then I'd get an armful and bring it in. Well, these limbs were crooked, but you know when you put a bunch of crooked limbs together, they straighten out each other. And you put David down with some of the others, why, he looks maybe not as black, but since he's God's man, what he did is black as ink. And it is as ugly as hell itself, the thing that he did. And today, I'm afraid that even in Christian circles, sometimes the only thing that happens is a few eyebrows are arched, but it's sin in God's sight. Now, it looks as if David got by with it, but David tells us he didn't get by with it. We've already had Psalm 32, which was not a penitential psalm as this one is, but it was a psalm of instruction in which David draws lessons from what happened to him, and he gives us his experience. And he says in Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4, "...when I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me, my moistures turned into the drought of summer." Now, David kept quiet, and it looked like he got by with it, but he didn't. I tell you, his conscience was really working on him, and he was losing weight. He lost all joy. He wasn't the happy king he'd been before. So God sent Nathan to David, and it was an urgent matter. I think he asked for an audience, and it may have been a lull in the business of the court. Anyway, Nathan told him a little parable. A rich man and a poor man in a certain town. And it was understood this was a true story. He told about this poor man had a little ewe lamb and the rich man had a whole flock of sheep. In fact, he had thousands of them. And this rich man, when the visitors came to him, he went over and got the poor man's little ewe lamb and he killed it. Well, David had been a shepherd boy. He knew how you could get attached to a little lamb. And he could see this that was wrong in somebody else. So this red-headed king, he got angry. He had a short fuse, by the way. And he stood up. And I tell you, he said, I want to know who that man is. We're going to deal with him. And Nathan, I think, is the bravest man in the Bible. He pointed his finger, David, and he says, Thou art the man. Now, there are three courses that are open to David. He can deny the charge, which a great many would do. We've had many men in public life that got caught, and then they denied it altogether, that they had committed adultery. And then 
David could have done something else in that day. He could merely have pointed his scepter at Nathan, and his guards would have led him out and executed him. He could have done that. And believe me, that would have shut many mouths. It would put a zipper on many. They wouldn't dare to have talked except in the cloak rooms and back into the pool rooms in that day. The third course that was open to him, he could admit the charge. And so he followed the latter course, and he made a confession of his sin. Now, he didn't get by with it. Listen to him in verse 13 of Second Samuel 12. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given a great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that's born unto thee shall surely die. That happened, but scandal and tragedy came to the house of David from that day to his dying day. And you feel like saying to the Lord, take the lash off his back. But God never did. David never asked God to. I asked him to, but David never did because he wanted to have fellowship with God and his heart was like the psalm that says, as the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee. Now, in this psalm, you have a great penitential psalm and you have here the cry of David. And you have that in the first three verses, the cry of the conscience and conviction of sin in the life of David. And then you have, I might give you the outline here in the second major division, a cry of confession of sin and the clemency or compassion of God. And then finally, and that, by the way, is in verses 4 to 8, and then you have in verse 9, I think to the end of the psalm, a cry for cleansing and communion with God. Now, let's look here at this first, the cry of conscience and a conviction of sin. Will you listen now to this man? Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Now, this is a great psalm, and it took a big man to make a confession that he did. Here's a time when a king said that he was wrong. Now, transgression is the word that he uses here, blot out my transgressions. And he also calls them here iniquity. He calls them sin, and he calls it evil. And what's the difference? Transgression means stepping over the boundaries that God has made. David broke the Ten Commandments. That is, he broke two of them. And then iniquity means that which is altogether wrong in and of itself. And who says so? God says so. When God says a thing is iniquity, that's what it is. And then it's called sin. And sin means missing the mark. You're not coming up to God's standard. All have come short of the glory of God. Then it's evil. And that means that which is innately, 
and actually and factually wrong. That is, I think, the difference in these words now. And you have here, I think, something that is important. I have attempted in these Psalms to show their relationship to the nation Israel. And I believe that with all my heart. I think you miss a great deal of the meaning. And there is a dispensational aspect of this psalm. But you cannot cram into one dispensation or two the experience of a man who's come in under deep conviction of sin. Because this is something that'll come to a man anytime. Now, you and I cannot enter into the horror of the guilt of David. What he had done was repugnant. He hated it. He hated himself. He felt dirty, and his conscience was outraged. And you talk about a guilt complex. He had a guilt complex, and there was that anguish of his soul. Now, the conscience was pointing an accusing finger at him, and you have the cry of conscience here. The cry of conscience, what does it do? Actually, it's not the function of conscience to tell us what is right and wrong. A great many people say, let your conscience be your guide. You could get in trouble if you do that. But I'll say this, after you've done wrong, the conscience will tell you that you're right, and it'll also tell you that you're wrong. And that is actually, I think, the real purpose of it. I think that the New Testament would bear me out in this. Let me turn over to 1 Corinthians. I didn't intend to do this. The 10th chapter and read the 25th and the 26th verses here. And will you listen to this? He says, "...whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that eat, asking no question for conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof." Now, there'd be a question before a man when he was eating in another man's house. He'd be serving him something that maybe he didn't feel like he should eat. Now the question is, should he eat it? As far as eating it is concerned, it wouldn't make any difference. The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof. You want to eat rattlesnake meat? That's all right. But don't have me for dinner because I'm afraid I'd have to balk there. But for conscience sake, why, Paul says, go ahead and eat. It's not that it's telling you what's right and wrong, but it would bother you if you offended your host. And that's what I think that we should keep in mind here. Now you have this cry of confession and sin and clemency and the compassion of God. Listen here now. I should read. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And listen to him. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Do you notice how many... Different ways that, as we've called attention, transgression, iniquity, sin, and evil. David went down the list and covered it all. Now, we come to this cry of confession. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Now, David has been criticized for saying this, that sin was against Bathsheba, and it was against the family, his own family, against society, and it was against the nation. But it's not against God. 
And there have been others that have said David didn't write this because his sin was not a sin against God. Friend, all sin is against God. And actually, that's exactly what we have in David's sin. And I think probably, and there's something else I didn't intend to do. Well, let me go back to Second Samuel chapter 12 and listen to verses 10 and 11 here. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me. Now, that's what God is saying to him. And hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. How did he despise God? Well, God had given the Ten Commandments. And God says, thou shalt not commit adultery. And friend, I don't care who you are, whether you're Christian or non-Christian, when you break that commandment, you are despising God. That's what he says here. You despise God. And I don't care whether it's a preacher or not. You despise God. Now listen to him. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I'll raise up evil against thee out of thine own house. And I'll take thy wives before thine eyes, give them to thy neighbor. He shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. For thou didst it secretly, but I'll do this thing before all Israel and before the son. And I don't think you get by with it myself. In fact, I know you don't get by with it. Now, sin is always against God. I don't care what sin it is, it's against him. Now, verse 5. He says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He said he had a sin nature. This is the root of sin. Every one of us has that sinful nature. Samuel Johnson, that great literary light of the 17th century, said every man knows that of himself which he dares not tell his dearest friend. And Paul says, If a man be overtaken in a fault, you that are spiritual now, the spiritual, restore such a one. Why? You might do the same thing because you've got the same kind of nature. And Paul could say, In my flesh dwelleth no good thing. And they tell me in the far north, when you begin to freeze to death, that you better keep moving because that you can get to the place that you become insensitive to the cold. And you can just go off to sleep and die. And there are a lot of folks sitting just like that in church pews today, my friend, that are frozen to death in sin. And they say everything's all right. It's not all right, my friend. Now, let's move on. This is a tremendous psalm, is it not? Now, verse 6 and 7. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part. Thou shalt make me no wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Now, some say David was forgiven because he confessed. That's only part of the story. He did confess, but it isn't even one half of it. And we find here in verse 13, David, and this is back now in 2 Samuel 12, 13, David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. Now, how does God put away sin? We have here, he forgives iniquity. That's what he said back, you will recall, in the book of Exodus 34, 6 and 7, forgiving iniquity and showing mercy, but by no means will he clear the guilty. So how does he do it? 
Well, he does it, my friend, because he gave his son to die for you. And that's the only way God can forgive sin. Now, the word hyssop is used three times in Scripture in sacrifices and for cleansing. Back in Exodus, the 12th chapter, verse 22, at the Passover, the hyssop was used to put the blood on the doorpost. And in Leviticus 14, 6, to cleanse a leper. And in Numbers 19, 6, the sacrifice of the red heifer. Now, hyssop is an interesting thing. I picked this up the other day, that hyssop is that on which penicillin grows. It's interesting that which is cleansing. And it's used, though, to apply the blood of Christ. It's faith that applies the blood of Christ. And it was used to apply the blood back in the Old Testament. It speaks of the cross. He could say on the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the reason that he said that was so God could pardon my sin in yours. He was made sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He was delivered for our offenses, raised for our justification. And Paul says in Ephesians 1, 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now in the rest of this very wonderful psalm, we have here a cry for cleansing and communion. And how wonderful it is. Listen to him. Verse 9, Hide thy face from my sins. Blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart. I like that. God wants to create a clean heart. David is really asking for a heart transplant. And create means to create out of nothing. In other words, there's nothing in you that God can use. I've sometimes used this expression, give God your heart. Well, He wants to give you a new heart. (laughs) He doesn't want that old, dirty, filthy thing you've got. He'll give you a new heart. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. That's the important, but under good works. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. David had grieved the Holy Spirit, and in that day the Spirit could be removed. But we're told today, grieve not the Holy Spirit, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. And a child of God will never lose the Holy Spirit, but you can sure grieve him. And that's what David had done. But in that day, the Spirit of God could have been removed. Now he says, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. He didn't lose his salvation. He lost the joy of it. And uphold me with a willing spirit. He wanted back in the will of God. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. And I think many have come to God because of this marvelous, wonderful psalm. He said, Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. He lost his joy, but he hadn't lost his salvation. And he wanted now to be able to Praise God, O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. That's verse 15. And he wanted to please God. Notice verse 19. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon mine altar. Now, you know it is possible 
that you could go to church without confession of sin. You could be a member for years, but do you ever weep over your sins, Christian friend? Do you feel like you've sinned against God? You really feel that way, he'll cleanse you if you come to him. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All right, we're going to leave off there. Not moving very fast here, but this is important, friends. Oh, how important this section is. Until next time, may God richly bless you, my beloved. If you've lost the joy of your salvation because of unconfessed sin in your life, I sure hope that today's message will encourage you to seek God's forgiveness as David did. For further instruction on how to live the life that pleases God, visit ttb.org and download Dr. McGee's free digital booklet titled Living the Christian Life God's Way, or call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE if we can help you find it. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'll meet you back here next time as our journey through the Psalms continues on Through the Bible. Through the Bible exists to take God's whole word to the whole world. And we invite you to stand with us with your faithful prayer and financial support. Where will God's word go today?